as we going to continue a series in the book of James. This is part six. This is a nine-week series that we've been looking at. The book that the half-brother of Jesus wrote. And it's so powerful, so convicting. As you can tell so far, James tells it like it is. He holds back no punches. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet James. He'd be like, you are a G in the spirit. You are a no-nonsense kind of a guy. And today you're going to see some more of that in chapter 4. We are in chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And if you're watching from home, we're going to have communion at the end of service. So run to your kitchen, grab a piece of bread, some Kool-Aid or juice, whatever you have, so you can join in communion from where you are at the end of service. And here's what James says to us today. James 4, he says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires of war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what gives you pleasure. Don't hurt us, James. Verse 4, you adulterers. Hello. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. James is like, I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. To which I add, you filthy animals. <laughs> Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up in honor. And that is the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? You know, throughout the New Testament, specifically these writers of the Bible seem to emphasize that we are in a war. More specifically, they emphasize that we are in a spiritual warfare. It's impossible to read the New Testament and not come across that reality of a warfare. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. John talks about it. And here, James, I don't know if you caught it, but in just 10 verses, he mentioned war and fights like five or six times. Saying that we are in the middle of a war. And he says in this war, the Bible tells us that we have three main enemies, right? We have the flesh, which is the physical part of us, but not necessarily your physical body, but your sinful nature that rebels against God. And then you have the world system, 
that is selfish, that is anti-God, that wants to kind of do things their own way. The society that we live around lives with principles that are anti-God. And then you have, of course, the devil himself who uses the world and the flesh to pull us away from the will of God. Are you tracking so far? And so we are in the middle of a war. And my friends, I think we can all agree war is terrible. Right now, I just read that it's been 100 days since the war in Ukraine began. I can't imagine being in the middle of that battle. But they say war is terrible, but the worst part of war is friendly fire. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to title this talk, Friendly Fire. Because if you paid attention, James is saying, there's some war among you. It shouldn't be as believers. You have been victims and you're victimizing others with friendly fire. Now, what is friendly fire? Friendly fire is when you are in the middle of a war and you get shot by your own people. It's one of the saddest things about warfare. And they say it happens very often in war. I actually looked up some statistics about friendly fire in battle when it comes to our country. And I found that they said in the Gulf War, for example, 24% of the soldiers died because of a friendly fire. They said if you, if you study uh, World War II, they said American soldiers were lost. About 12 to 14% died because of friendly fire. In the Vietnam War, it was about 10 to 14% that died because of friendly fire. And I was reading on it because I was intrigued by what causes friendly fire in war. And they said, they call it the fog of war. So there's so much happening that it creates a fog that leads to friendly fire. And they said the reasons for the fog is poor planning. Sometimes compromise intelligence. And also... Incompetent command leads to friendly fire. And they said there's errors that take place in war. And once you study it, you, you, you realize that some of the errors was just where the soldiers were positioned leads to friendly fire. Sometimes there's lack of identification. That's why they say, like, you having the right uniform matters. And then they said that it, it sometimes it's a matter of of response inhibition, not knowing what's really happening around you. And they said, it happens when you are in unfamiliar ground. And then the worst part is, and I think this is what James is trying to get to, he said, it happens when there is a lack of communication. So my friends, it's possible that we are in a friendly Sorry, that we are in a war and sometimes if we're not paying attention, if we're not discerning, and if we're not in tune with the Holy Spirit, we might be shooting at the wrong people. Worst part of war is friendly fire, is to turn on each other. And, and James is saying here, say, listen, what is causing all of this fight among you? Don't they come from evil desires? In other words, aren't you paying attention? You're in a fog here. You're not seeing clearly. You're allowing your selfish ambition to make you turn on your own brothers and sisters. In other words, man, we in a war, you're pointing at the wrong direction. It says the reason why is, please write this down, lack of discernment leads you into judging your own brothers and sisters. Well, <laughs> well indeed. 
See, my friends, when our sinful nature is leading instead of the Holy Spirit, we cause a lot of havoc, cause a lot of chaos among our own people. And the question that you got to ask yourself, because the, the whole purpose of the book of James is maturity. So you got to ask this question once in a while, my friends, is, is what testimony does that give to the world when the believers are turning on each other? Like the world's supposed to look at us to get a glimpse of this God. And Jesus himself said, he said, they will know you by the way you hate on each other. They will know you by the way you call each other out on Facebook. They will know you by the way you think you're more theological than your brother. No, Jesus said they will know you by the way you love one another. And if the world is looking at us and all they see in is quarrels and fights, I think the world will say, I'm good. I don't want any part of that nonsense that you have going on. This has been happening since the first century. James is writing about it because they're having some issues. And he started, if you go back to the previous chapter, remember, James said that the problem is they are jockeying for positions in the church, but everybody wanted to teach. And he's like, not all of you should be teachers because not all of you understand why you're teaching. You wanted to be teachers out of selfish ambition, not out of calling. So maturity says, you better check yourself before you Yes, wreck yourself. Worst is you better check yourself before you wreck others in the process with yourself. You know, when you study Jesus, Jesus puts a high premium on unity. And it's amazing to me when we are immature how we say things that Jesus would never co-sign. And we think we're doing it for Jesus. You know, Jesus said there's going to come a time in the end times where we're going to actually, like, bring people to, to jail and, and testify against them. And he's like, you know, they're going to think they're doing it in my name. Lack of discernment will lead us to judge the very people that's supposed to be on the same team as us. There is a war, but you need to aim at the right enemy. Jesus puts a high premium on believers being united. Part of his last prayer on earth before he goes to the cross, he emphasizes this. In John 17, Jesus said this as he was praying. He said, I pray that they will be one. one. That's another word for unity. As you and I are one, as you and I, as you are in me, Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Yes. Unity matters to God, and it should matter to us as believers. And that a lot of times, James is saying, man, you're not seeing the things you want to see because you're fighting the wrong people. You're allowing your selfish ambitions to get the best of you. And he's, James says, man, when you're living like that, no wonder there's jealousy all around you and in you. See, the last two years, there was so much chaos in our country that even the believers bought into it. There was so much chaos that, that, that some people were calling it theological civil war. Because we couldn't agree on who should be the president. 
We couldn't agree on racism. We couldn't agree on abortion. We can't agree on anything, and we want to be God's people, and God's people cannot be God's people if they're not united in the Spirit. So here we are as immature believers fighting for the very things that God's like, I'm not going to co-sign that if there's no unity. Your selfish ambition doesn't always align with God's will. And this is where maturity kicks in to say, I need to go beyond just the surface because God doesn't just look at the surface. God looks at the motives. And the intentions of the heart matters to God. And this is what James is talking about here. He's saying, listen, you, you have some spiritual quarrels happening, but you're disguising it with spirituality. It doesn't matter how you mask it. Division is from the pit of hell. is not from God. Fighting amongst yourself, doesn't matter how many Bible verses you know, what is the heart behind what you're doing. People posting about one church, bashing another church, not realizing that it's one church under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. People taking preferences over who, who their favorite Bible teacher is, not realizing that all of us fall under the category of the servants of Jesus Christ and that God doesn't play those games. That's just you, personal preferences, playing into the division that God hates. Lack of maturity is leading us into friendly fire. And it's costly. It hurts. And it kills. My friends, if you're taking notes, the antidote to celebrate... The antidote against jealousy, you ready for this, is to learn to celebrate the success of others. There is nothing wrong to celebrate another human being who's winning because if they're winning, if we're on the same team, then we're all winning. And I hate to say this, but pay attention when you just got a victory and your inner circle doesn't celebrate with you. Or someone got a victory and you didn't celebrate. Because that reveals deeper things happening within our hearts. My friends, make it a point to celebrate others. Why? Because when they win, you win. When they excel, you excel. When they bless, you're blessed. And this God is big enough to bless your friend and to bless you. He's got more than enough. He has exceedingly above. You can never ask or think. And sometimes, here's a mature word. Sometimes God's like, let me see how you react. Bring it, bring it. To see if you're ready to be blessed. So why not push people forward? Why not cheer people on? I pray we are the biggest cheerleaders in people's lives when they do in the will of God, when they're pursuing God's will. Because my friends, understand this, unity is not uniformity. I don't have to look like you, talk like you, wear the same things as you to desire the same things you want. If you want God's will, I want God's will. You want God's power, I want God's power. You want God's way, I want God's way. We don't have to listen to the same worship songs to worship the same God. We don't have to like the same preachers to worship the same God. I don't have to go to this church to celebrate another church, my friends. We got to elevate our thinking. Our perspective must be bigger. It's our selfishness that reduces God 
to a denomination or a way. By the way, you never find the word denomination in the Bible. It doesn't exist. Man made it. But motives matter. See, the issue, you have to understand, the issue that James is bringing up here, the issue is not who's right or wrong. The issue is what is the motives? What is the intention of the heart? He says, it seems to me that our evil desires attached to those motives. Even when we use the Bible to prove our point, we have to ask the question, why did I do that? And as, as far as God allows me to be the pastor of this church, I will sound like a broken record. God is more concerned with you being righteous than being right. You could be right and not have the heart of God. God cares about righteousness. Because righteousness is who he is. See, the reality is, James is making it clear, hey, you're using your words to kill. Not to build. Not to edify. Jesus himself said something really powerful about your words in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read this from the message because I think it really opens it up. Jesus said this. Jesus said, look, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of. Wow. Keep going. Watch this. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell, stupid, at a sister, you are on the brink of hellfire. That simple moral fact is that words kill. Please write this down. Selfish living and selfish prayers will always lead to friendly fire. And James says, this is the reason why you're unhappy. It says you want what you want for your own pleasure, not for God's will. And we know that the pursuit of pleasure is the most emptiest thing that we humans don't seem to still get after all these years. James is saying, listen, the pursuit of pleasure is so empty that that. History has shown us again and again that that cannot be the end of it all. Because it never satisfies. There's a man in the Bible named Solomon who had all the means in the world to pursue every pleasure imaginable. He wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, probably one of my favorite Old Testament books. In that book, he's telling you his resume. He's like, man, I became a king young, so I had the means to throw parties, to build castles. Like, Solomon was doing MTV Cribs before it was a thing. <laughs> like, I, I got the castle, I got the woman, I got the party, I got the knowledge, I got everything. And he says, it felt meaningless. And I love the way the message was, he says, it was like chasing wind. If you ever grab wind, put it in your pocket and go, you're going to be my wind. It's elusive. Pleasure as the means to the end is elusive. You see why James is like motives matter because if you're doing it just for pleasure, you're going to miss God and you're not going to be happy. Can we have an honest moment in church? One of the saddest things about life is to get the thing you wanted so bad and then still feel empty. 
Have you ever been there? This is why I think as mature believers, we get to the place in life that we thank God he didn't answer all our prayers. Am I talking to the right people in this room that you know that if God answered all your prayers, you'd be in trouble? God is so good, he's like, no, go ahead, I'm not going to answer that prayer. You're going to marry the wrong person. Can I get a witness? Yes, ma'am. Thank you for always having my back. I appreciate you. Like, you got to live long enough with Jesus that Jesus is like, you know I just spared you, right? Because all you were thinking is about pleasure. I'm thinking about eternity. Comes a time in life when you start to thank God, not for answers prayers, but for answers not prayers not answered. <laughs> because he's that good to you that he knows. Mm, knucklehead. You're not seeing the end here. And then we kick and scream. Like we throw a tantrum like our kids when they don't have their way. And when your kids are throwing a tantrum and you're like, what's wrong with you? And guy goes, hmm. Apple don't fall far from the tree. You'll be here mad at me because I didn't co-sign your relationship with Johnny. Johnny was going to jack you up. Y'all ain't ready. Pursuit of pleasure never satisfied. That's why James was like, if you want something, why don't you ask God? But he says, the problem is you ask God, you don't even know his will. God actually wants to bless you so you can be blessed, not jacked up. One of the promises in the Bible is Psalm 37. It's a powerful promise. In Psalm 37, it says this. Is, look, it says, take the light in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. But here's what we do. We start with uh, my heart's desire, and then if God fits. You know, that's the people that, that, that on their Twitter bio is God first, but then you're like, your life don't look like that. <laughs> no, he says, take pleasure in me, God. When God becomes your pleasure, then your pleasures become aligned with this pleasure and his will and his purpose. Because he can't give you something that doesn't give him pleasure. I got news for us this morning. God is in the business of God. So you got to check yourself before you, before you wreck yourself and others. Because selfish prayers will hurt other people too. See, the purpose of prayer is to align our will with His. In partnership with Him, to ask Him to accomplish His will on earth. Even the Son of God had to say, not my will, but your will be done. Even the son had to submit, to surrender for the will of God to be done. Do you know that if he didn't go to the cross, there would be no resurrection? If there was no resurrection, we wouldn't be here. So he had to submit in order to see the will of God. See, when the, the disciples asked Jesus to teach us how to pray, in the middle of that prayer, what does he say? In Matthew 6, what does he say? Right? He says, may your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will above my will. See, 
Prayer is not telling God what to do. Prayer is to yield to what God is already doing. This is why people get frustrated with praying. Because they pray in selfish prayers. And God's not going to co-sign it. Because as a good parent, you know, knucklehead, I scream at midnight, you try to your mind. You don't give your kids ice cream at midnight. You're DMing someone at midnight, you're out of your mind. You're flirting with someone who's married, you're out of your mind. Because ice cream comes in different shapes and forms. See, I'm, I'm trying, sister, I'm trying. I'm trying. But he says, when your selfish motive, selfish ambition leads you to become an adulterer. That's strong. That's heavy. Because we know the worst part of any relationship is betrayal. There's nothing like being betrayed by someone you care about. He's saying, basically, you're going to find yourself a war against God himself. When you don't check yourself. Putting anything above God is adultery. Or anyone above God. That's why James goes from that. He says, don't you understand? You're slowly becoming a fr- friends of the world. And if you're friends with the world, then you are an adulterer. Because God is a jealous God. He wants us for himself. And God is in the business of God. Friends with the world is rebellion against God. In Isaiah 54, just one many examples of this. This is one of them. He says this, for your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies, his name is your redeemer, your holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. There's the symbolism of, 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 of God being a husband and us being the bride throughout scriptures. Jesus says he's coming back for his bride. Not girlfriend. Not side piece. See the God of the world, my friends. It got to come to place in time. There's a line drawn on the sand. And I'll tell you straight up, if it's the world, go all out. But if it's Jesus, you got to be all in. Because you're going to be frustrated trying to do both. There's nothing more frustrated than a divided mind. In church, in the world. In church, in the world. As, as the guy who said, I don't want to disappoint anyone. So he was crossing this bridge and he was scared. He's like, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go, God, Satan, God, Satan, God, Satan. Guess what? You ain't going nowhere. Who are you married to? Who are you allegiance to? See, Jesus said sooner or later, something's going to give. You can't serve two masters. You will prefer one over the other. So the question is, you got to ask is, who is going to fully satisfy me? Is it God or is it the world? Because I can't have both. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. See, my friends, the way it happens is gradual. You ever been at the beach and you're just hanging out with friends? And then 
time goes by, you look over, you're like, oh, wow, we drifted so far from where we were. You see, drifting away from God's will never happens overnight. It happens over time. When we start to cut corners, when we start to compromise, when we start to tell, you know, when we come up with our own versions of what's a, what's a lie? I've read the whole Bible. I haven't seen white lie or blue lie or, or Cape Verdean lie or American lie. I just have not come across that yet. Or how about this one? Well, everybody else is doing it. And I'm like, oh, I haven't read in the Bible that you're supposed to be a copycat. By the way, this generation, they pride themselves after being originals. I'm like, all I'm seeing is burnt CDs. Like, I ain't seeing no originality. Y'all look the same, talk the same, act the same, DM the same. See, slowly conforming to the ways of the world, they're saying, God, the world has something better than you. That's why he compares it with adultery, because you commit adultery when you're not satisfied with your own relationship. The grass will always look greener somewhere else, because someone is cutting it, removing weeds, working on it, planting, sowing, reaping, planting, sowing, reaping. God wants us to be fully his. His spirit will bring conviction when we start to drift away from him. And I've told you this before, I say it again. I'd rather be convicted by God than him leave me alone. He's a jealous God. Think about how he felt the last time someone you love betrayed you. Why does it hurt so much? Because God created you in his image. And he wants you to be faithful as he is faithful. But the beauty of James is, my friends, he doesn't just tell you the problem. He gives you the solution to the problem. He tells you here, he says, says the key, my friends, is, is God gives grace generously. But here's the thing. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. In other words, God's like, I'm not just going to tell you what the problem is. I'm going to give you the solution. See, see, God is so good and so faithful. He's like the teacher that gives you an exam and tells you the answer. And you're still going, uh. In Deuteronomy, God told these people, he says, hey, I put before you life and death, so choose life. In other words, hey, multiple choice, life or death, but choose life. And we're still like, uh. Ah, oh, choose life. I don't know. I'm so confused. Because your loyalty is divided. But humility brings perspective. It brings wisdom. When I say to God, uh, I want to be teachable. I want to be moldable. I don't want to get ahead of you. I don't want to live without your grace. I don't want to think I can do this on my own strength. My friends, you got to ask yourself this question once in a while. Are you truly and fully submitted to God? I didn't ask you if you came to church. I asked you, is your heart fully, truly his? Because there's a difference. When you're truly, fully submitted. Because there's no way around that. God is not going to bypass his own principles. You know why? God is in the business of 
God. This is why there's so much conflict inside of us. It's a lack of submission. The tension is, I want my way, but I... Paul says, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, ooh, save me from this body of death. He says, thank God for Jesus. Thank God that there's grace. James says, listen, humble yourself. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't you know behind the scenes is the devil enticing you to pull away from the will of God. See, if the devil showed up and says, hey, I'm the devil here to ruin your life, we would all run the other way. But he doesn't show up that way. You know why? He knows you too well. He knows what buttons to push to get you the things you think you want. He goes, hey, pleasure, right? What's it going to be? You need, what you need? You need more money? What you need? More sex? What you need? What do you need? I got you. What do you need? You need, you need more attention? I'll give you more followers. What you, what you need? What you need? Whatever you need. I got you because I'm the God that lies to you, that I actually can actually fulfill you, but you're too dumb to realize that, so you buy into my narrative. Oh, your, your marriage is struggling? Come over here with me. I got you. Here's one of his favorite lines. No one understands you. It's, you're, you're, you're so unique, we should be studying you. You ever heard that lie? It was just me against the world. He's like, yeah, it's just you against the world. Come this way. I got you. See, it's a lack of discernment that makes us buy into the same lies. Because he doesn't have anything new to do. Jesus says when he speaks, he speaks lies. He's a father of lies. But because we live in a world of lies, we can't pinpoint what the truth actually is. See, I love this quote by this, by this, by this man named Hermes from, from way back, an ancient Christian. He says, the devil can wrestle against the Christian, but he cannot pin him. <laughs> if you resist, he has to go. But in order to resist, you have to be rooted and grounded. See, this is why we struggle because he says, submit yourself to God. Then you'll learn to resist. The problem is the word submission is like a curse word for us because he says you got to fall on the rank. It's a military word. Like you're not the general, you're a soldier, so submit. But we think, I got an Instagram account. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a general. And we don't realize, oh, the enemy's like, yo, you're a general. You're amazing. <laughs> Whoever doesn't get you is a hater. <laughs> oh, we, we live in a world of lies. Just pumping lies all day long. And because we're not submitted, we buy into it. No, he says, get into proper rank. Unconditional surrender is the only way, watch this, to complete victory. In God's economy, surrender means victory. It's a paradox kingdom. It's an upside-down world kingdom. The first is last, the last is first. But he says, you number one. But God's like, well, in my economy, you can't have to number one. That makes 11. 
The great theologian Ricky Bobby told us that. Shake and bake. And then he gives you this great promise. Look at this great promise. I love this. He says, draw near to God. Draw, God will draw near to you. I got news for us today. You are as close to God as you want to be. This, my friends, is an invitation and a promise. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I'm inviting you and I'm promising you that I got you. And how do you do that, my friends? He's giving you all these different tools to draw near to him. He's giving you worship. He's giving you prayer. He's giving you surrender. He's giving you submission. He's giving you service. He's giving you all the tools to say, listen, when you are in tune with all of these tools, it's easy to resist the other stuff. See, yeah. so, yeah, I found out that when you work at a bank, the way that they teach you how to handle money and know what, what is real money and fake money or fake money is they don't spend time with the fake money, they spend time with the real money. Because they're like, the more you're familiar with the real, you can pinpoint the fake. See, the more you're rooted and submitted to God, the quicker it is for you to be able to know, ah, I see. I see you. But because we're so inundated with lies that we can't even differentiate, it says resist. How do you resist? Watch this. Paul gives you this in Ephesians 6. He says this. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to what? Resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. In other words, I can't live this life without the armor. And if you keep reading, it tells you what the armor is. The first thing he mentions in the armor is the belt of truth. You know why? Because you when you get the belt of truth on, you won't get caught with your pants down. I used to be a youth pastor, and one time I remember one girl, you know, slept with someone. And she said to me, Pastor, you don't understand. One thing led to another. And I said, a lot of things has to lead to a lot of things for two people to be naked on top of each other. Maybe if you had your belt of truth on, we wouldn't be in this predicament. We make excuses for the things that God says that's not for you. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. Are you everybody? Put on the belt. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see why righteousness matters more than being right. It says, look like me. Be a righteous person. He says, take the shield of faith. So when the enemy attacks, you can, you can lift up your faith. And you can counterattack with your faith. He says, man, get your sword. The sword of what? The spirit. He says, let me be in the word. Be rooted and grounded. Because the more you know the truth, the quicker it is to slice through lies that the enemy will try to bring your way. And then he says, put on the shoes of gospel of peace. In other words, where you go, you bring peace. You don't bring quarrels. You don't bring fights. You don't bring division. You don't bring anything that doesn't look like God. God is a God of peace, and he's looking for peacemakers. He's looking for people that will actually bring people together, not divide them, not set them apart. You are a man and a woman of God, so go into your office and bring peace. 
Bring peace to your home. Bring peace to your community. Bring peace to your church. Bring peace to social media. Bring peace to your Instagram. Bring peace to your Facebook. Bring peace because you are a peacemaker in God. Whenever a believer opens their mouth, it should sound like peace. Why are we most known for the things we're against and the things that we're for? Because we are bent on being right instead of being righteous. God wants us close to him, intimacy. That's what a relationship between a husband and a wife is supposed to be. The more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. And he ends by saying, he says, you got to cleanse your heart. Purify your hearts. And he says, man, some of us, he says, you need to be mourning over the sin. You mourn over division. Like, you shouldn't celebrate things that I don't co-sign. It should break your heart to see the church divided. It should break your heart to see brothers fighting when they should be fighting together in unity. He says, man, you, you need to mourn. And you know that there's a whole scripture called Lamentations. You know why that book, that book is there? Because the people of God drifted and God says, when they cry out to me, I will answer them. My mercy is renewed every day. But he says that if they don't turn from their sins, I'm in the business of me. See, some of us, we need to take some serious look and say, where have I allowed the world to infiltrate my heart? Where do I need to be washed all over again, cleansed, purified? Because can I, can I tell you something, my friends? Not all guilt is bad if it leads to change, to transformation, to healing, to restoration. <laughs> See, it's funny. Our society doesn't want anyone to feel bad. Your kid, basketball team finished 12 and they have a participation trophy because they can't feel bad. But it's like... Some guilt is good. Like, y'all are terrible. Go, go work harder. Go be better. <laughs> Can't say that. Well, we'll get a lie to them. The other day, I went to my son's basketball game, and they got killed. They got crushed. They lost by, like, 30. My wife was like, what are you going to say? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> maybe they learned to maybe grab some rebounds, maybe box out some people and stop trying to be Steph Curry and get to the line and get some free throw. Maybe you will win a game. Why should I co-sign a lie? Yeah, I did amazing. Lost by 30. Not all guilt is bad. If it leads to life. If it leads to true repentance. Not make excuses for sins. People, God will forgive. Yeah, but do you know what it takes? He doesn't take it lightly. That's what it took for him to forgive. And we acting like it's nothing. No wonder we don't see breakthrough. No wonder we don't see miracles when we don't actually cry out to God and say, God, forgive me. I've drifted. I've made a mess of things when I'm selfish. And thank you for not answering all my prayers. Because I'd be even in a worse. Someone, someone was so honest the first service when I mentioned that. They're like, I would have been in jail. 
And I said, thank God for an honest man in the house. Thank God, if you answer my prayers, I'll probably be in jail because I would have done some weird, checked up stuff. But I'm provided for my family. <laughs> oh, man, y'all ain't ready for this today. Not all guilt is bad. We're going to prepare our hearts for, com- for communion, and you've got to search your heart. The Bible says don't take communion in vain. Search your heart. Make sure that, that there's nothing there hindering your relationship with him. There's a great prayer. Search my heart, oh God. See if there's anything in me that offends you. And if the Holy Spirit points something out, repent. And ask for the strength to not do it again. But I want to leave you with a powerful story that Jesus told about true humility and and true repentance. As the worship team comes, we're going to get ready for communion. But watch this. In in Luke 18, there's this great passage. Jesus showing us what God's looking for. Beginning with verse 10. Watch this, Luke 18. It says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. And the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God. I think it sounded like this, because I think this is how self-righteous people sound. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector from New Bedford. I, God, fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. This is not a prayer. This is a resume. It's like giving God your resume. Verse 13. But the text collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's why he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will honor you. It takes humility to embrace a Savior. It takes you a minute to say, I can't save myself. I don't have what it takes. It's a very humbling thing to say, someone had to die for me. Someone took my place. I deserve to die and he took my place. And he invites me to be part of his family and part of his will. You see, communion is powerful because it's it's you identifying yourself with Jesus, the Savior. That's why we we try not to do it every single week. We don't want to lose the essence of it, the power of it. That when I come to communion table, I'm saying, God, I'm coming to become one with you. I'm coming to surrender all over again. I'm coming to allow your brokenness to heal me. I'm coming to allow your blood to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I don't take this lightly, my friends. You got to do inventory before you take communion. 
I encourage you to bow your heads for a second and, and look within and say, am I ready to take communion today? Have I, have I repented of my sins? Have I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my life? Not, not the Twitter version, God first. No, is God really first? Am I really surrendered to him? Am I living in the fullness of his will? And if there's anything in me I need to repent, I want to do it right now, God. I don't want to take you for granted. I don't want to take your sacrifice for granted. So search my heart, oh God. See if there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to you. Check my motives. Check my intentions. Am I promoting unity among believers? my reflection of your goodness because Father I want to be in communion with you I want to be intimate with you and I'm thankful that you made a way for me through the sacrifice of your son Jesus in Matthew 26 Jesus says as they were eating Jesus took some bread and he blessed it Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat, for this is my body. Let's eat. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you were broken for me so that I may be whole. Now help me to be broken for others so they can be healed. As they were eating, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many mark my words I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom let's drink So Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that by your stripes we are healed. We take communion and we believe, Lord, that, that your, your body broken, your blood shed brings healing to us. Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. And now, Lord, that we've been filled with you and filled with your presence, we can go out and be a blessing to others. May the words of our mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. May we be a reflection of who you are to a divided world. God, we choose to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We take on the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and the gospel of peace as we go out there. May we live in the fullness of your will. 
May those who come in contact with us get a glimpse of who you are in us. God, help us to avoid friendly fire at all costs. Teach us to fight for each other, not against each other.